how Scripture says that the creation uh, cries out the glory of God. Um, I teach a math class for, uh, it's uh, math for natural science majors. And one of the things that we do in that class is uh, we, in addition to teaching math, uh, we also talk about the, uh, the reality that uh, those that work in sciences, uh, there's this, this pressure that if you, you are a person of faith, that uh, somehow you've now separated yourself from reason. And uh, so we, we spend time in, uh, in that class, uh, not a lot of time, but, but pretty much every week, about five minutes or so, talking about uh, the reasonableness of faith. And uh, this week I was showing them a video from uh, Dr. Francis Collins, who was the head of the Human Genome Project, and uh, he tells his story of being an atheist. Uh, he goes, well, maybe I wasn't an atheist. He even says it that way. Maybe I was an agnostic. I just didn't have time for things of faith. And, and it wasn't until he became a doctor that uh, he realized that the science he had studied didn't answer why. It only, only talked about how, right? How uh, the human body was put together and, and the kind of processes that went into it. Uh, and it wasn't until he started looking at scripture and, and sitting under people of faith that, that he gained an understanding of, of why and how important that was to him. And uh, so I, I always go back to that, uh, realizing that a lot of my students are going to be working in, uh, in different industries and, and a lot in, in the healthcare industry and how important it is not just to, to walk away with, with how things work, but why. And that, that God put these things together and we can't help but see his hand at work in creation. Uh, so I, I'm grateful for the worship this morning because uh, it's one more way we can celebrate what God has done in creation. Uh, so we're going to be talking over, over the next few weeks uh, about the heart attitudes. And uh, if been around at uh, Church in the Valley for a while, uh, the heart attitudes are uh, really what happens as we grow in our faith and we become more like Jesus, right? And that's the intention. And so these are the, uh, really the goals of, of what we ought to be like as we become more like Jesus. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is. And, and he replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your uh, soul and with all your mind, depending on which uh, place it's recorded. And then he says, the second is like it, right? Because the first one makes sense. Love God, love, uh, love what he has, uh, has done, how he has sacrificed for you, how he has created but also love your neighbor as yourself, he says. And he says, in these two things sums up the law and the prophets. 
You say, well, wait a minute, it's just, it's just those, those two sentences. How could that sum up all of pretty much the Old Testament for a, a Jewish person? And, and when you go back and, and maybe even just look at the Ten Commandments, you'll, you'll notice that they're broken up into those in which you are uh, commanded, right? They're commandments, commanded in regard to your relationship with God. And then those that you're uh, commanded in relationship to other people. And he, and he actually talks about uh, your neighbor. Your neighbor is the one that you are accountable to. And so Jesus spends a lot of time talking about parables and the relationship between neighbors. And so the, the, the heart attitudes are really uh, that, that interaction of, of how we're going to live. And so the key to the heart attitudes is love. Biblical love. It, it's not emotional, right? It's not a feeling. Now, there might be an emotional component to it, right? So, so when you're, you're engaged in the church, when you're, you see God at work in the life of, of someone else in your family, uh, when you're you're, you're singing praise songs. There might be feelings involved. There might be emotion involved. So I'm not saying it's not that, but, but that's not really what love is about. And so we'll talk about this a little bit more, but, but first of all, uh, love is, is an act of the will. Decision. That when you understand the Old Testament, when it talks about the heart, the heart wasn't uh, that seed of emotion that we kind of see in our culture, it, it, was, it was will, decision. And so it's as you grow and become more like Christ, how are you going to do things different because of what you choose to do? Heart attitude number one is that we would put the goals and interests of others above my own. That I would... Think of others before myself. That, that's not to say that I can't have goals, right? So uh, it's not everybody else matters except for me. That's not really how it works. Um, it, it really looks like this. When you're driving on the freeway and you know where you're need, you need to go, there are plenty of people around you that aren't thinking about what you need to do. And so it's why you get cut off on the freeway. It's why people will do in cars what they wouldn't do if they were standing in line in front of you. They tend to be a bit more uh, considerate. But for some reason, as soon as you get inside your car, I guess it's that anonymity that happens inside the car. You don't know that it's me, right? It's why be careful bumper stickers and things like that. Uh, and so because of that, people will do things that is less considerate. So could you imagine how different your drive would be if people would stop and think of others as they were driving? Uh, I teach at a Christian university. And so when we go in the parking lot is really busy as people are leaving campus, uh, it's like leaving church. No, 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 you go. No, 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 you go. It's really nice. 
Except once you get off campus, that, that like ends. I, I don't know that I, no, 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 you go. No, no, you really, I'll go after you. And then you just stop at the four-way four stop. No, I'm going, it's my turn. And so think about as you grow into Christ-likeness, how you would consider others' interests. Philippians 2, starting in verse 2, it says, Complete my joy, the Apostle Paul writing to, to the church in Philippi, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There is a provision there. You can look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. It means we're to love as Jesus loved. Right? And so think about all the ways in which Jesus demonstrated love. Not just talking about love, because I think people do that a lot, right? We talk about love, but do we demonstrate love? Do we put it into practice and actually do it? And so if we were to love as Jesus loves, what would that look like? Well, if we continue in uh, Philippians 2, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death. Becoming, or sorry, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, that's that, that picture of love like Jesus. And there's some aspects of that that are, that are so important that as you grow in faith, these become more real. First of all, our love is to be sacrificial. It's to be sacrificial. It's, it's supposed to cost something. Does your, does your love cost something? Does your consideration for your neighbor cost something? Does it mean that, that there are, are times when you go out of your way to help others? Not just when it's easy to help others. Okay, so you get the call, hey, we're moving, can you come help us move? And you're like, all right, I think I can go because I have nothing else planned, so it's relatively easy, and... I think they're promising pizza afterward, right? I'm getting some reward for this. And, and people are going to think of me better if I help out. Okay, I guess I'll do that. Well, see, did it really cost anything? Or did you really do it to get something? Love is to be sacrificial. It's for the benefit of others. 
Romans 5, 8, Paul explained this very clearly. He says, but God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died. That, that it wasn't that Christ died after we got everything figured out. Right? I went in. I cleaned house, I put everything in order, I was considerate and kind and loving, and then Jesus says, maybe I'll die for you now. You seem like a good guy. No, in fact, the exact opposite was true. That, that Christ died when I was broken and, and dirty and, and nasty, and, and it was like, you know, crumbs on the floor and... and God said, it's not about how good you are, it's about how good I am. And, and Christ died before I was worthy to be saved. See, after I'm saved, again, it's not me, it's Christ's righteousness that he sees. That's the purpose. I'm not going to be good enough, but Jesus was. And so it cost him something, obviously. That's why when, when John wrote in his letter to the church, 316, his first letter, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Uh, see, that's a tough one to take. But that's the kind of love that we're talking about uh, it's, it's one of the reasons I so enjoy being here because there's brothers and sisters in Christ here that I've known for a long time and that their, their kids are the same age as my kids and, and they're still here. And the reason they're still here is because they love the Lord and they desire to see others grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ. And so if you're, you're kind of maybe newer here, you might understand that's, uh, that's what the church is about. It's not just, well, we do church because we want to be a church. It's we're doing church for the benefit of those that aren't here, those that will come, those that need to grow in understanding. It's why... Uh, Baptism is so important. You guys heard about that. Because that's a sign that people in the church are hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus, and growing and desiring to take the next step in obedience to say, yes, this is something God did for me. Now, if you're considering it, I would full-heartedly encourage you to be a part of it. Uh, my... Uh, uh, my children, my older two children, were baptized at Church in the Valley. And, and that's exciting. My niece and nephew were baptized at Church in the Valley. Uh, that means that no matter what happens in the future, I will always think of Church in the Valley and the decisions that my kids made for Christ. We know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
So our love is to be sacrificial. The, the second one is that our love is to be selfless. Selfless. Right? That's why when Paul said, uh, do nothing from selfish ambition. Love by definition is selfless. Among the many problems in Hollywood is the idealized picture of romantic love. Not just that it's idealized, but it's just wrong. Because that's not love. Right? So, so there's this love at first sight. There's attraction at first sight. I, I'm not arguing that. Uh, there's all kinds of things at first sight. But, but, but love, because it's a function of the will and, and decision, that's, that's altogether different. It's not based on those, those feelings. In fact, we ought to be grateful that love isn't based on feelings, right? Because my feelings change whether I've had a good night's sleep or not. My feelings change whether I'm hungry or not. Let's be honest. If I've had a cup of coffee, some of you are feeling good this morning because you had your coffee. And see, if my love was based on my feelings, imagine the roller coaster I would have in my relationships. Right, it would be, be something like, well, you know, the dinner is burned. The dinner is late. My marriage is in danger. Which is a, a good thing because on occasion I overcook or undercook dinner. When I work with... When I work with young couples that want to get married, this is often something we talk about. Understanding that, that the way we feel changes, it fluctuates, but that's not what marriage is, right? That marriage is a decision. I, I remember uh, my wife and I had been married for like two years, and I don't know exactly where this came from, but she says, I finally figured it out. I'm like, okay, we've been married for two years. I'm glad you figured it out. She said, you're not ever going to leave me, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, but there's that, that sense because culturally it seems like marriages could end for no good reason because it was based on something that wasn't quite right. And so I think she learned enough about me and that I had decided that I wasn't going anywhere. I'm sorry it took her two years to figure that out. But, but here we are, I don't know, 27 years later. And she's still like, okay, you're not going anywhere. Now, not that there, there hasn't been times when I'm like, man, this is hard. And by the way, it's not her so much. It's that there's kids. They're hard. <laughs> and so one of the things that I, I tell young people is that the kind of the, the works 
based economy that our culture seems to find in relationships, that that's not biblical, right? That, that it's only if you do for me that, that I will do for you and that's how it'll all balance out. That's not how it works. In fact, what I, what I teach the young couples is that instead of figuring out what you're getting out of this relationship, you need to spend more time thinking about what you're going to give to your relationship. And so I, I, I try to figure out what I can do as a surprise for my wife. Uh, I'm not talking about, by the way, she likes flowers, but I'm not talking about flowers. I'm talking about things that she'll truly appreciate. Like when she got home yesterday, she was gone overnight with our youngest at a, a, a girls conference. And when she walked in, the laundry was done. Now, I didn't have to. She didn't ask me, can you get the laundry done? Right? There was no to-do list. But when she walked in, the laundry was done. So not only do I get credit for doing the laundry, I get extra credit. Extra credit's good. And so I try and figure out what I can do, right? So that's just one example. By the way, it's not just because I want her to be proud of me. It's that if I do my job and put in to the relationship, I don't have to worry about what I'm getting out of it. Because she takes care of that. That's kind of how relationships are supposed to be. And it's a very different understanding than you will get in our culture. That's why when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth talking about love, he says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Or resentful. By the way, this is love. It's not me, because I'll be honest, at times I am irritable and resentful. But when I am demonstrating love, I'm not. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the love, bears all things. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That, that sounds like a nice thing that maybe you heard at a wedding or something, Right? It's often recited. But this is not supposed to be just a couple of verses to be recited at a wedding. This is supposed to be Christians putting into action, demonstrating, reciprocating the love we've received from God, saying, let me show this to others. This isn't just for my wife. This isn't just for my, my kids, my immediate family. I'm supposed to demonstrate this all the time. That's hard. Right? I, I, have, cl I have classes with, with dozens of students. I'm supposed to demonstrate this to 19 and 20 year olds who are like stressed out about their grades. I'm supposed to demonstrate love. That's tough. But it's also important because it's how we show God at work in our life. Love is to be sacrificial, 
selfless. Our love is to be humble. Humble. That's why Paul said, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Uh, That's actually a direct contradiction to pride, right? Because it's in pride that I say, that's right, I'm all that. Instead, I'm supposed to look around and say, let me see how others can benefit from what I can do for them. Paul said, love one another with brotherly affection. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Brotherly affection. Uh, Again, the Greek kind of comes up short because it says brotherly is the direct translation, but it means the affection of siblings. So brothers and sisters. It it says that, that the kind of feeling that I have when I see my sisters, not the kind of feeling I had when I saw my sisters when I was 15, but the kind of affection feelings that I have now that I'm 50 and I see my sisters. You see, that's what I'm supposed to demonstrate as a follower of Christ to the church, to have that kind of affection. That's what it means to, to have that kind of love. We, uh, we had last night our uh, Church in the Valley 35th anniversary in Ontario, and, and several... Uh, Several of your leaders were there, and uh, uh, the thing that, that I noticed the most was as people got up to speak and the love they had for each other and for Pasty, uh, Pastor Randy uh, Lanthrop uh, was, was moving because they were moved. And that wasn't an accident, right? It wasn't, it wasn't well, I, get, I got all choked up. It was genuine appreciation. And that's why he says, outdo one another in showing honor, right? Because it's, it's that by showing honor, you show uh, that brotherly, uh, sibling-like affection. It's supposed to be humble. It's also supposed to be thoughtful. So if you are being selfless, Right? We, we already talked about that, that our love should be selfless. It's not all about me. But the default, right, after you go, well, I'm not selfless, right, is selfish. That's the opposite. But if I'm not being selfish, I'm being selfless, that's still not the positive statement of being thoughtful. Right? So it's not all about me, but instead I actually need to consciously choose to be thoughtful, to think of others. You see the difference? He, he purposefully says, Paul says, let each one of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That means intentionality. 
purposefully looking around going, how can I help people? Not just, I just won't, I'll choose to not be selfish today. But to go out of your way to think of others. See, this doesn't happen by accident. Some of you are really good at this. You're like naturally thoughtful. And you have a a natural uh, interest in others and their well-being. And, And men, women tend to do this more naturally than we do. So if you're like, wow, I didn't think of that, but you're absolutely right. My mom tended to be more thoughtful than my dad. Or, or my wife is more thoughtful than I am. I'll be honest, my wife is genuinely more thoughtful than I am. I have to work at it. I have to intentionally decide to be thoughtful. Jesus gave... Christians, their marching orders in the Great Commission, right? And so as we grow in likeness and we become more like Jesus, he said, go into all the world and make disciples and teach them everything I've commanded you, right? There's this, this, this desire we've got to be teaching people about the Lord, baptizing them, he said. And so we have our marching orders, but then he also told us how to live. In John 15, verse 12 and 13, Jesus said this. He says, my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Right? So so you've got your orders. You're to love as Jesus loved. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Back to that young couple that comes to see me and says, we want to get married, you know, what kind of counseling do we need to do and and that kind of thing. We go right here and say, what's the priority? Because the, uh, the, the, the challenge that we have with new couples is that, well, before we got married, you know, I would spend every Friday night uh, playing video games or hanging out with the guys or, or I, I do this activity or that activity. And, and maybe there's some of that can continue. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But are you willing to lay down your life for someone else? To say that what really matters is, is, is this and not me. He says, you're to love one another as I have loved you. And that's a a demonstration of God at work. So what will really matter in eternity, right? When, When everything is said and done, what will really matter? Will it be the job you had, the house you lived in, the, the, the car you drove, how much money was in your bank account? What will really matter? And, and I'm pretty sure it's not those things. I'm pretty sure what will matter most is the impact you had on others. As they heard about Jesus, they decided to follow him, they grew in their faith, they grew in Christ-likeness. For this is the love of God, John wrote, 
that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Right? That's, that's the goal. We keep his commandment to love as he loved. I have some next steps for you today. Uh, first of all, my next step today is to evaluate the way I prioritize what matters in my life. Is it about me? Is it about others? Is it about the kingdom of God? Is it about the cause of Christ? Not that I have to not do anything for myself. I, I'm allowed to have goals. I just don't prioritize myself at the, the cost of others. And then number two there, my next step today is to make at least one positive change to demonstrate love. Uh, I always tell my wife I'm grateful we didn't meet until college. That if she met me when we were in high school, she wouldn't have liked me. I was very self-centered. I was very selfish. It was all about me. And then, of course, I said that to her when I was in college. And then I get to look back from this perspective and say, okay, but I was still selfish in college. I was still selfish when she met me. Thankfully, God didn't leave me there. And she looked past that. And, and we're further along. But I have a feeling in another 27 years, when I look back to now, I'll go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm still grateful she still loved me. She stayed. She stuck with me because I was still selfish. It's still about me. But thankfully, God is gracious, and, and I'm further along now than I was then. And so what kind of positive change can you make? To be more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are, we're grateful. We're grateful for the example that Jesus set in his love that he demonstrated what it means to be more like, more like him. That we would love in the same way that he did sacrificially, selflessly, humbly, thoughtfully. But Father, I, I pray for each one here that as we uh, really just start talking about these hard attitudes, that we can consider how we're going to be more like Jesus, demonstrate that love similar to the way he demonstrated his love for us. Lord, we thank you. And Father, as we head out uh, this week, that it would be clear to those around us that there's something different about the way we interact, the way that we care for others, demonstrating your love. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve.